welcome to the Friday, October 18th, 2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, the EPA and RFS are yet again at odds. A new round of congressional campaign fundraising numbers and the latest Democratic presidential debate. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the State Capitol Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises. With me today are Thomas Nelson of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning, Aaron. Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Um, good morning, Aaron. But uh, usually I'm introduced first, so um, I'm, I might pout, but I think I will still answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> I put my name generator on shuffle this morning, so I came out okay. random. That's, that's fair. <laughs> and finally, Gazette columnist Todd Dorman, who is always last, so maybe the shuffle didn't work as well as it should have. Good morning, Todd. Reluctantly, good morning. <laughs> you can find us. On, on Iowa Politics on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. First up this week, it's the EPA versus the RFS, an ongoing drama that now has more sequels than the Police Academy movies. And as I think about that, that probably dates me. I, I, I needed to come up with uh, another example for our younger listeners, too. Uh, maybe I'll come up with that as we go along here. Um, after President Donald Trump's administration earlier this month assured Iowa renewable fuels industry leaders that the federal renewable fuel standard would be made whole to their satisfaction, Trump's Environmental Protection Agency just this week proposed rules that threatened to, once again, weaken the ethanol mandate. Without getting too technical, if you'd like to do that, please read my story and any of our fine Lee or Gazette papers for that. Um, this disagreement is over how many gallons of ethanol should be replaced to make up for the administration's dramatic increase in improved waivers for oil refineries. So I covered a press conference this week that was called by the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association, the Iowa Biodiesel Board, and the Iowa Corn Growers. And I was struck by the strong language used to describe their frustration with the EPA. Uh, we heard quotes like, no more Iowa nice, now it's Iowa pissed. Um, and then my favorite, which came from Monty Shaw of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association, saying the EPA says, trust us. Well, in Iowa, that dog don't hunt. That, that was my favorite. Now, to be clear, this is a very real and very serious issue. There are plants in Iowa that have closed and still more that are running below cap capacity. That's where that frustration is coming from. But there are political elements at play here, and God help us, ours is a political podcast. So here we go. In addition to the quotes I already highlighted, there were a few more that I think President Trump and his staff would probably need to hear. Things like, when Donald Trump makes a deal, isn't it a deal? Well, we had a deal. And President Trump has lost a lot of support, pretty much everyone I talk to that's involved in agriculture. Todd, this has been kind of the $35,000 question, it seems, since very early, very early in the Trump administration. Are all the decisions he's made on this and trade, are they going to cost him politically in Iowa, a state he won by almost 10 percentage points? If what that farmer said is accurate, that the ag community is losing faith in the president, that's certainly going to hurt him here. And sure enough, we have a new Emerson College poll that was published this week that shows the race 
a virtual toss-up in head-to-head matchups between Trump and Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, and Elizabeth Warren. And Todd, are we starting to see tangible evidence of Trump's strength in Iowa weakening because of all these policies? Well, I, I think we're seeing some circumstantial evidence. I guess you're hearing these ag leaders say that his support among farmers is eroding. I've also seen some polls that show that he's still pretty strong with farmers. So, uh, yeah, I, I think what, what you're seeing also is that uh, you've got, what, 47 Democratic presidential candidates crisscrossing the state talking a lot about that the president's not doing a good job. That that has some impact. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a combination of, of things. And, and his, you know, his agriculture policy is hurting farmers. And, and I think... I mean, I think the first thing you can say is, is the president at this point going to win Iowa by 10 points? Probably not. Is he going to win Iowa? Maybe. I think his wave has maybe reduced down to a, I don't know, maybe a, a splash. But uh, I still think in the rural areas of the state, the president is still fairly popular. He's popular among Republicans. Republican leaders in the state are still behind him. So whether he's, you know, this this all adds up to him losing Iowa, I think is probably way too early to say. But all of the factors that you look at right now, you know, the economy, the farm economy, the, uh, the the campaign that's going on all over Iowa by, you know, with Democrats bashing him, it's, you know, it's probably adding up to a reduction in his support, especially along the margins where there are some persuadable independents or maybe a few Democrats that crossed over and voted for him last time. But he's, yeah, he's got a lot of work to do. And it wouldn't surprise me to, to see him return to the state at some point soon, although they haven't given any indication of that yet. Yeah, no, we had uh, the vice president here. Um, right. What's that been a week or two ago uh, now? So uh, we'll see if uh, if President Trump feels compelled to, to come out. Uh, he was just in Texas um, this week. Uh, you know, it's... You mentioned the Democratic uh, presidential candidates. Um, I'm reminded that it was something interesting. I had an interview with uh, Pete Buttigieg this week, and and he said something that I thought was was pretty astute on his part. And I don't know if other candidates have picked up on this yet. For, for us reporters on the ground here in Iowa, we have known this for quite some time. Pete Buttigieg said something that was the first time I heard a candidate say it, that um, for all the, the railing that the, can, that the Democratic president's candidates have done on Trump on some of these issues, they really seem to focus on the trade thing. And it's far more among Iowa farmers, especially the the RFS, the ethanol thing, is a much bigger deal to them. It's something they're much more upset about than the trade issue, where they're a little bit more um, willing to go along with the president, even if it has some adverse impacts in, in the short term. Keith uh, Buttigieg pointed that, I uh, kind of made that observation, and I, and I thought that was interesting and an astute pickup by, by him. That's um, something that maybe some of the other Democrats haven't picked up on yet. Um, obviously, something that's going to be ongoing and far from the last time we will be talking about that here on the podcast. So uh, stay tuned for uh, Police Academy 10. <laughs> moving, on this, moving on this week, we have a new round of congressional fundraising numbers to analyze. Let's start over in Western Iowa's 4th District, where the incumbent Republican had the third best fundraising period. Brett, tell us more about the latest in the 4th District race and, and the numbers we saw there this week. 
Right, and and I'll get to Steve King, who you referenced, but I want to make sure I don't forget to to bring up that um, um, this is the first quarter that um, J.D. Shulton had uh, joined the race, and he's the Democrat from Sioux City who had excuse me, narrowly lost to King um, a year ago in 2018 by 3%. And a lot of people had wanted, a lot of Democrats had wanted Shulton to run again, and, and he announced a few months ago, as a, after this quarter started, um, that he indeed is, is a candidate, and so far no other Democrats have, have joined him, and it's possible that he will be the only one who joins the field. But um, anyway, he um, his first uh, fundraising period uh, was in this quarter, and he came out of the shoots very strong, very, very strong, and he had over 400,000 um, raised in, in less than the full quarterly period. Um, so that was a very, and how he phrased it was that, you know, people were enthused about his campaign uh, a year ago, and they're just as enthused, and, you know, they, they showed that by giving him a very strong quarter to begin. And with that, with that amount that he brought in, that actually was more than the, the five Republicans that are in the field drew combined. His 400,000 was more than what they all together brought in over the quarter. And uh, then to get to the Republican side, um, uh, once again, Randy Feenstra led the way. Um, he's the state senator from Hull, and he's the one who's challenging the uh, 17-year incumbent, who's Steve King. And uh, Feenstra raised 260 grand for the for the quarter and he is trending down um so i'm sorry he raised 130 for the quarter um when he uh, announced right off the bat at the beginning of the year he brought in 260,000 first quarter 140 second quarter and 130 um third quarter so uh, while he still remains the leader on the republican side he is trending down in each quarter slightly um and he still is the cash leader he has over 400,000 in his cash on him so to get to Steve King um his quarter was not all that huge yet again um he had 62,000 that he brought in compared to Feenstra's 130, so basically about half of that. While Jeremy Taylor, who's from Sioux City, brought in about 40,000. And King, for his three quarters over this year, is 61,000, 91,000, and 61,000. And and we uh, looked. Um, his second quarter of fundraising was only fifth amongst the sitting uh, Republican incumbent, and this quarter he was the least of a sitting Republican incumbent. So mm-hmm. and we said so many times on, on this podcast that Steve King is not as historically was not a huge fundraiser for many years when he coasted to victories. He kind of stepped up his game in fundraising when he was presented the challenge with um Christy Vilsack in two thousand twelve and then two thousand fourteen Jim Maurer as well. And and this time um his fundraising is, is back you know, to those lower levels, and you know, again, as I said, for for what a what a sitting, um, you know, long time tenured office holder has, he's he's extremely on the low end, and you know, so I don't know if if that's you know if he's weakened by the loss of his committees, which happened for his controversial comments at the beginning of the year. Um, so, but it, it's very eye opening, and um, you know, not it's just very atypical from what you see from an incumbent. Yeah, and and uh, and at the same time, like you said, kind of typical historically for King. Does it, sure. do these numbers, Brett? Do, do they tell us anything uh, um, new about this race, or shed any new light, or or is this kind of just to um, paint a continued picture of what we'd expected that uh, J.D. Shulton's a popular and and strong 
Democrat for that district, and Randy Feenstra has kind of been the. Is there was there any new light shed by any of these numbers? I wouldn't say so. Um, it, it, you know, it's like you said, it's it's kind of how how things have gone this year um, over the quarter, and you know, Feenstra. You know how he how he's phrasing it is you know people are tired of Steve King and and you know they want a different Republican and and he seems to be the guy and at least he's where the, that money is has been directed thus far in the first you know nine months of of this election cycle, um, and um, you know I, I don't know if he's concerned that it's you know he's not getting. You know, if he's just barely getting over 100,000, if he's just concerned that that you know maybe he had a big initial support and it's kind of tapered off, at least financially. Um, but you know, again, I, we we like these reports as reporters because we can kind of get a lay of the land. Again, there's no polling out here other than um, you know from a, from the organization, so we don't really know how people stand. Although I guess last week Steve King released his his internal poll that showed he was, you know, flying high. So, um, but again, this, this gives us you know, something to hang on to and some numbers to, to kind of assess the race. Yeah. All right. Uh, flip side of the States over to Eastern Iowa's first district, uh, democratic incumbent, Abby Finkenauer raised more than 460,000 in the period there. Um, but the one Republican challenger, Ashley Henson had a solid effort of her own raising more than $315,000 after she had raised even more than that in the previous period. Uh, so Thomas, let's bring you in here. That's your turf over there. Um, is this an indication that this race will be as competitive as we all thought it might be? And, and uh, looking at Henson's numbers specifically in the next Republican was um, uh, a very low number. Does, does that show us um, that the Republican primary is not going to be very competitive? Uh, I would agree. I don't think the Republican primary will be that competitive. Right now, Thomas Hansen uh, of Decorah has raised about $392. And I think um, Abby Vink and I, I'm not Abby, uh, Ashley Hansen has, you know, had that times 100,000. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, and, the, and then Darren White, another person who's going to be running, doesn't even have any. Uh, fundraising data. So I don't really foresee them being, um, you know, very strong challengers at this point, albeit crazy things have happened before. But at this point, I think with the amount of money that Ashley Hinson has raised, it seems likely that she's going to end up being the, the person to challenge Abby Finkenauer. And I think that's going to make this kind of an interesting race, especially just considering um, that, they're, you know, both candidates are, you know, uh, Abby Finkenauer came from the Iowa House um, and, uh, you know, and worked with Ashley Hinson in the past. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that race goes. And a rumor around the campfire, too, is that, you know, the filing period for this race has not begun. So there's also a possibility that we could see Rod Blum come back and see the revenge of Rod come out of nowhere to try to take on Abby Finkenauer before, the, you know, later on in this race, especially considering the fact that he has – um, earlier this year, put money toward polling, to see, and we don't know how that polling turned out. But he, you know, he might be seeing that he might have it in. So I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, how that goes, especially considering a lot of the incumbents that lost in 2018 seem to be trying to make a comeback. With you know, here in Iowa, David Young is going to be challenging Cindy Axney, and then way down south, Peter. 
Pete Sessions in Texas is trying to go for his seat. We might see Rod Blum also try to go uh, go for his seat. But right now, Henson has that strong fund, you know, has a lot, has a strong fundraising going, and I think she's going to be she's going to be the favorite Republican to take on Finkenauer. Now, whether or not that strong fundraising is going to be enough to, you know, unseat this first term uh, incumbent is is yet to be decided. Because I think at the end of the day, this race is really going to be fought on less. I don't think it's going to be as much on fundraising as it's going to be on, you know, how that you know. The, the top of the ticket, and we don't know who's going to be at the Democratic's top of the ticket, but we know the person at the top of the ticket in the Republican Party, Donald Trump, is currently uh, embroiled into, in an impeachment uh, impeachment battle. So that may have a pretty big impact on you know how this race might go. But uh, it'll be interesting. But I think as of today, as of recording this right now, at you know on uh, Friday, October eighteenth, twenty nineteen. I think it's fairly safe to say Ashley Henson and Abby Finkenauer are going to be the candidates for Iowa's first district. All right, and uh, and you you mentioned Rod Blum. I was going to ask you about that, so that's perfect. And and he's um, got enough. Um, I don't know what's left in his campaign account necessarily, but I know Rod's um, a successful businessman who could uh, give himself a little bump if he needed to jump into the race late. So that wouldn't be any hindrance for him at all. It will be interesting to watch to see if he decides to jump in and 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 um, and run a challenge to Ashley Hinton, or if he stays out of it and and, it, and it's hers to, to for the primary. Another one that will continue to follow. Uh, and just a quick note here, we also got to look at the fundraising in the U.S. Senate race. Uh, nothing terribly shocking. Teresa Greenfield, among the Democratic primary candidates, raised uh, the most with $1.7 million. The next best was Eddie Morrow with $1.2 million, but uh, very important asterisk there. A million of that was in the form of a loan to himself. So uh, Eddie Morrow self-funding there, Teresa Greenfield raising the most um, uh, on her own far and away. Uh, and also we know uh, which Democratic primary candidate to go to if we, we need a little help paying the bills. So don't uh, to self there. All right. Finally this week, we wanted to talk a little bit about the latest Democratic presidential debate. Um, nothing complicated here. Let's just go around the horn and, and get everyone's impressions. Take your pick here and tell us about a moment you think stood out or a candidate you think did particularly well or particularly poorly. Any thoughts you may have. And, and if you didn't watch the debate, uh, just tell us who you think will win the World Series. Thomas, let's start with you. All right. I've got the, you know, does it count if I watched it? I didn't watch it live, but I watched it later on. Um, it absolutely counts. That's the best way to do it. You can skip the commercial. All right, good to go. <laughs> good to go. And then, um, you know, I, I think the moment that kind of stood out for me is the. I'm going to take the easy route here, and uh, that everyone else seems to be kind of talking about is that uh, Elizabeth Warren seems to be clearly the front runner simply because of the, all the attacks that she was getting uh, during the debate. One that kind of stood out to me was when she was, you know, her back and forth with Joe Biden when uh, he kind of talked about how he got votes uh, for the, her, the uh, Consumer Financial uh, Bureau, the uh, Consumer Finance Bureau that she helped kind of helped create. Um, and then her back and forth with him when he says, I got the votes for that. And then she responded that she was very grateful to President Barack Obama for assisting with that. Uh, and, and that, and that, that back and forth 
clearly no love lost between those two candidates, especially considering it was the former frontrunner versus the upcoming frontrunner, possibly upcoming frontrunner. So that's, I think that's kind of one that really stood out to me, especially just considering how uh, as uh, you're starting to see Elizabeth Warren leading in more of the polls, you know, she's, she's taken more of those attacks and, and she seems to be doing, I mean, purely opinion here, but uh, she seems to be handling those attacks better than the former front runner. All right. Very good. Brett, how about you? Okay. Um, I know Ed's not on here, and I, I'm not completely sure, but I hope Ed would agree with me. Any, anyone but the Yankees for the World Series. Um, <laughs> sure, I'm and I, sure I will, would. Yeah. Um, I will. Okay. So I, in my role of community journalism, I also um, have school board coverage. And believe it or not, that same night we had a candidates forum with the six school board, Sioux City school board candidates. So I was not able to watch the the uh, debate, and I'm going to spare you guys the details from our particular debate on this of the Sioux City school board. But the, the one thing that I did just just briefly, just briefly, I um, I was uh, was intrigued by uh, seeing several mentions on Twitter and and, and other places of of um, Kamala Harris. Um, there were certain questions that she was hoping topics that were raised that, that didn't get raised. And, and But anyway, in, in a point that she brought up that she wanted to get rid of um, having Donald Trump's Twitter account taken away from him by, the, by Twitter. And um, um, people, there was the, the line that, you know, why would you waste your, your time on something like that? Uh, you know, let's talk about policies and such. But but I found it very interesting that that's when she was able to, to throw something out there that that's what she that's what she chose. Yeah, that was interesting, and I and I heard you, you that it, you you noted that question that people were posing, and I heard her respond to that the next day, and and she talked okay. about it as being uh, as being a form of uh, witness intimidation. That was her view on it. Obviously, okay. she's drawing on her experience as a former prosecutor and, and AG, so that was her her case for that. But you're right; that was a very interesting. Um, um, kind of discussion and, and that leaked into the next day as well. All right, right. Todd, bring us home here. What uh, what stood out to you? Uh, well, I, I I'm not sure who's going to win the World Series, but uh, I, I don't know. I'll take Houston and <laughs> I'll take Houston and six. Why not? Uh, <laughs> I know they haven't beaten the Yankees yet, but I'm with I'm with Brett on that. Uh, you know, I I guess if I had to pick someone whose performance I thought was interesting was uh, I thought Amy Klobuchar actually did well in trying to fill that sort of I, I could be the next Joe Biden sort of role, kind of trying to take that spot in the center left sphere of things to, you know, if, if Biden continues to fall and she can say that she's like, you know, the, the candidate that's not Elizabeth Warren. I thought she actually did a, of all of them that tried to attack Elizabeth Warren or question her policies, I thought Klobuchar did pretty well. And and the Minnesota senator got a couple of interesting endorsements this week. Uh, Liz Mathis, the state senator from here, used to be a TV anchor, is fairly well known in eastern Iowa. And Andy McKean, former Republican, now Democrat in the House. And not that endorsements mean a lot, but it's I thought just the combination of things her doing a little better than expected in the debate and picking up a couple endorsements from people that you've actually heard of, which is nice, uh, kind of, you know, gave, <laughs> gives the idea that maybe there's something, there's there's still a, a heartbeat in her campaign. So we'll see what happens. But 
my, I think my favorite tweet of the night during the debate was someone tweeted four more hours, like four more years. And I think it's, 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 it got the feeling like that after a while. Or are you really better off than you were three hours ago? Maybe something like that. So, but <laughs> that's fantastic. As, yeah, yeah, and that and you mentioned Klobuchar. That that'll be interesting to see if there's any any legs to that. Um, she's doing a bus tour in Iowa over the weekend. You mentioned the endorsements. Um, she's wrapped up now. The um, she dominated the Republican uh, defection primary here in <laughs> Iowa by. Uh, you noted Andy McCain, and, and earlier she got uh, David Johnson, who uh, was a state senator who was Republican turned independent. He's endorsed Klobuchar too, so she, she was so she's won that primary here. It would be interesting to see uh, um, if there's a if there's a, a Klobuchar surge coming. If there is, you can bet your last dollar that we'll talk about it on a future episode of On Iowa Politics. But that's it for this edition. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope it was worth your time. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. As a reminder, you can find uh, everybody here's work every week on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Lojo Russo will play us out this week. If you know a band or a talented Iowa musician who should be featured on our show, send us a sound file. For Thomas, Brett, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. Oh,